Before beginning this episode, I want to say thank you to all my family and friends who have been great supporters over the past 34 years of my career. Also, I want to say thank you to our listeners in Clarksville, Tennessee, Ellsworth, Wisconsin, Chicago, Illinois, El Paso, Texas, Mesa, Arizona, Woodbridge, Virginia, Downey, California, Greenwood, Indiana, and to our overseas listeners in Germany, Italy, Egypt, Guam, Puerto Rico, Japan, Portugal, Kuwait, and the United Kingdom, as well as Singapore. Thank you again for listening. Ordnance is the ninth of 17 branches. It is the halfway point. I've been waiting for this point for a long time. I'm excited. And without further ado, Josh and Nicholas, begin the introduction, please. Welcome to another Cohort W podcast episode, bringing you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most exciting and enterprising young warrant officer leaders. Each episode is dedicated to exploring real-life leadership in the Warrant Officer Cohort in tackling the problems faced in large-scale combat operations and multi-domain operations. And now, here's your host. Hello. In today's episode, my incredibly excellent guest shares some personal and professional experiences as an ordnance warrant officer. Then we will examine how those experiences contribute to meeting doctrinal requirements for the ordnance corps. All Cohort W guests were recommended by senior leaders in their branch. Today, I am joined by Ordnance Warrant Officer CW3 Juan Santibanez. Thanks so much for your time today, Juan. Can you share with the audience a little bit about yourself, please? My name is uh, Chief Warrant Officer 3 Juan Santibanez. I was born in a small town in the state of Michoacan, located in the west central part of Mexico. We then moved to Houston, Texas. I lived in Houston for over 18 years before joining the military. I am a 915 Alpha Automotive Maintenance Warrant Officer currently working as a Squadron Maintenance Tech. I am stationed in Fort Hood, Texas with 17 CAF, 1 ABCT. Can you tell me what your daily work in garrison is like and what your work in the field and training environments are like in addition to deployment as an Ordnance Warrant Officer? As an automotive maintenance warrant officer, our daily tasks vary. You know, we start off on Mondays with command maintenance. So we're out there all day doing command maintenance on all the equipment within the squadron. On Tuesdays, normally we track parts, pull the maintenance reports, the AOAP, the standard pricing, the parts received not installed, part statuses, service schedules, work orders, and update the SMO, which is the squadron maintenance officer, the squadron XO, and the commanders on everything I just mentioned. We also prioritize the workload for the combat repair teams, the ground support equipment section, the armament section, and the maintenance platoon. Every day is the same thing with the exception of Mondays and Thursdays, which Thursdays is leader time training, where we focus more on sergeant time, the old school sergeant time training. One week out of the month, we will do MOA-specific training, low-density training. Other than that, sir, your, your days varies. And the most important thing is trying to keep as much combat power and equipment readiness any day of the week. During the field, it's a lot, a little more complicated because we have to move all of our assets out there. So once we get to the field site, we're constantly jumping. So setting up UNCPs at the CTCP is our very first thing we have to do. Then right after that, we start set up our statement systems and start moving all the equipment, the, the broken equipment, now to our AO to repair it and bring it, put it back in the fight. 
in a combat operation, I've only done the FOB concept of the fight. So there, we're in a FOB. Majority of the battalion is there. So it's pretty much the same thing as in a garrison environment. The only difference is that we are in a combat environment where actual bullets are flying and IEDs going off. I recently did a European rotation, which it was somewhat similar with the exception of bullets flying and IEDs going off. But our gunneries and our intense training made it more realistic, constantly moving. Within the nine months that I was down there, we moved about four times to different training areas. Anywhere you go, you have to set up shop so you can do your work and then you just get to work doing what you talked about of keeping combat power as high as possible. Yes, sir. And a uh, garrison environment is easy. You just hop in a vehicle and you just drive to the SSA. In a combat environment, it's a, a lot harder because we need convoys. SSAs are not co-located with us. So we need to do log packs. And that's where everything, you know, everything we train for becomes real. In our European rotations, it's a lot harder because our brigade will be probably scattered throughout five different countries. So every battalion will be a little different. For us, I was a little uh, more fortunate because our SSA was only about three hours down the road, which is still made a little complicated, but it was easier compared to others that are in different countries within the Europe footprint. Co-location is always a big challenge, especially uh, for your scheduling of repairs. I think that's a really good transition, Juan, into talking about how does your work fit into warfighting functions? And I'm going to guess fairly obviously that you're in sustainment, but can you talk to me about how that work supports that and any of the other warfighting functions? Sir, our branch directly supports the sustainment warfighting functions through providing maintenance expertise and counsel to officers, senior NCOs, and junior soldiers. We also enable the other warfighting functions when assigned to units, as well as conduct maintenance enablers to the commanders to focus on accomplishing their mission and continue to repair whatever equipment we're supporting. In this situation, I support a, a CAP squadron, which is mainly Tanks and Bradleys. There's other organizations within our MOS, for example, a medical battalion. They mainly support medical equipment, FLAs. Signal battalions support more of signal equipment to include the, the power generation equipment, the satellites, the STTs. Transportation companies and in our, in, in our MOS maintain medium and heavy truck companies. And we also support inlet cargo companies and uh, CSSBs and, and sustainment brigades, where you will find a 915 anywhere within any type of brigade. Every brigade will have a 915. That's great to know, and I appreciate you sharing that with uh, with me and the audience. Uh, it sounds like the work that you're doing right now clearly supports command and control of warfighting functions, so your leaders and planners can make plans for what they're going to do. And then it sounds also like movement and maneuver with the organization that you're part of is directly affected by your work. Is that fair to say that? Yes, sir. We we track everything from POL down to the major uh, FUPS for, for tanks. So everything has to be tracked accordingly from us and back to the, the supplier, the depot levels, you know, for repair. So everything is tracked. For for example, in, in Europe, when we set up when a major order of POL, because the tanks armor, we use a lot of POL. We have to track from the time the POL left, you know, the States to the time it hit Ramstein Air Force Base and it sits there for 14 days for environmental reasons, and then it gets to us. Well, obviously, we're not going to send a POL back, a serviceable, but we do have to send the old stuff back to the environmental area where it's going to be managed correctly. 
parts, we have to track them. If they're not available in theater from the time they left the manufacturer, it could be Red River Army Depot. It could be you know, different depots, different sources of supplies. For an engine, we will have to track it from the time it left to the time it arrives to us. And then we have to ensure that it makes it back to the source of supply so it could get rebuilt, refurbished, and sent back to the front line, sir. So I want to take that work of supporting those warfighting functions we talked about and the other ones that you mentioned and spin that up into large-scale combat operations. How does that work that you do support large-scale combat operations, please? We fix forward as far forward as possible while at the same time keeping as much firepower in the fight as possible for the commanders. That's at my level, at the squadron level. In my experience, I've noticed that you would always find a 915 automotive maintenance warrant officer at the railheads, at the ports, during the initial phases, and at the last phases when we're bringing all the equipment back. I've had the great experience of working at the port in Europe. There were other units out there supporting us, and 915s showed up to assist, to ensure everything was off the boat in a timely manner, repair as whatever we can on the spot, put it on railhead, ship it to where it needs to go. At the other end of the railhead, there's another 915 automotive maintenance warrant officer waiting for the equipment and doing the same exact thing, fixing as far forward as possible and uh, building combat power. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Can you talk to me about how the work of Ordnance Corps fits into multi-domain operations? Sir, we, we enable the MDO to operate successfully by ensuring all the equipment within our given domain, primary land, combat vehicles, and weapons function correctly. That's for, for, the, for the ABCT, mainly for me. It's uh, making sure that all the equipment, it's being maximized to its full potential. And I am certain that other areas, for example, a cash and a medical battalion, signal battalion does the same thing, ensuring that their equipment is properly being utilized to maximize the, the potential at the same time, you know, providing services for the warfighter. I'd like to uh, shift gears and ask you, what have you learned or what would you like to share with the audience about your work's importance as part of the Army's mission? Sir, what I've learned in the, in the past the 11 years, you know, as a warrant officer, 19 total as in the military, that our job plays a very important role in garrison, field, and combat operations. Uh, ordnance, soldiers, you know, we play a huge role in it. The more equipment we have FMC, the better we'll support the warfighter, which can result in eliminating the threat at a faster rate while at the same time protecting our soldiers and meeting our, our mission. The better we learn our job, the faster we will be able to troubleshoot the equipment, get it back on the on the front lines. And the more we know all the safety concerns with the equipment, the better we will be able to train the soldiers. For example, there's some harnesses out there for gunners. It's 1151, the striker platform, every platform vehicle that has a, a gunners. During 2008, when these gunners restraints started coming out, they used to be Velcro. Then we found out that Velcro wasn't working, so they went to a different type. And then we went to a different type. Finally, they came out with one. Well, if we don't know that type of stuff here, we will not be able to perform good inspections, PCCs, PCIs, and then we'll be, send, we'll be sending a soldier out there with the wrong equipment. And uh, same thing with the hardware that goes inside the vehicle. You know, we're, we're not tracked with the MWOs and the safety of use messages. We could potentially be putting the soldier's life or at the same time putting the equipment, you know, at risk. So I think the better educated we are, the better it will be to perform the mission while at the same time saving soldiers' lives. 
Sure, that's incredibly important. Moving on, what would you say to a warrant officer who just graduated candidate school? Sir, there's many things I would like to to share with uh, warrant officers who just graduated candidate school. But one of the things that I've learned that I think is most important that probably does not get covered very much, it's learning how the organization supports the war fighters and higher echelons. I was in the medical battalion. Prior to that, I was all B- ABCTs, SBCTs. By the time I got to the medical battalion, I was clueless on how they fought. You know, I thought they were down there kicking doors, doing the same thing, but that was not the case. So I would say learn how your organization fights, most importantly, to better support the commander at, at the time. That commander will then be able to provide a better service for higher echelons. And also in warrant officer school, there was a attack officer. I can't remember his name, but he will constantly tell us that reading is fundamental. The more you read, the more you will learn. With that said, I would strongly encourage everyone to read their TMs, the FMs, ARs, to be better informed and they could make better recommendations and decisions. If they don't know something, you say, I don't know, but I will get back with you and follow up with that. You know, uh, within 48 hours, go back and say, sir, you know, you asked this. This is doctrine. That's what I would recommend. The, the other thing I would recommend, it's build a good relationship with your seniors, peers and subordinates and always strive to exceed the commander's intent. Thank you. I appreciate that, Juan. It's so great to hear warrant officers talk about doctrine, and I appreciate our time together today. Thank you for sharing how much uh, the work of warrant officers and ordnance contributes to meeting the doctrinal requirements for your branch. A lot of pride, so I'll just end here with a go ordnance. On behalf of the Warrant Officer Historical Foundation, thank you to today's guest for your insights on the future of warfare and the importance of the warrant officer to that fight. Please visit warrantofficerhistory.org to learn more about how you can help support the Foundation and programs like this. Special thanks to our theme music composer, Josh DiStefano. Visit joshdiStefano.com to hear more of his outstanding works.